0: Morning, Glory, and Evening Grace, America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Usually the last radio hour of the week is the Hillsdale Dialogue, uh, and you can listen to all of them at HughForHillsdale.com or go to Hillsdale.edu and sign up for everything that is Hillsdale, and it's always free, and it's always necessary, and it's important to your understanding of the crucial period of time in which we're entering to in the American Republic, but... I'm doing a special edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue on a Wednesday today, and I'm going to rebroadcast it on Friday with Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, because Michigan, where Hillsdale College is located, votes on Saturday, and the results of yesterday, Tuesday, Super Tuesday's election need to be digested. Dr. Arn, welcome to The Hugh Hewitt Show. How are you doing? Well, I am confused uh, and concerned and interested in, in what you think happened yesterday, and where is the party that with birth not far from your college
1: going? Oh yeah, it. Uh, well, it, first of all, it's really I, I'm excited mostly. I'm 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 very worried, very worried about the Republican, very worried about what's going to happen. But also, I think more than I, this week than I thought last week. This is the most exciting political debate I have ever seen.
0: Uh, do you? I, I I tweeted out that it will be the roughest two weeks of Republican campaigning uh including the 1976 Ford Reagan fight. I mean oh. by far. Do you agree oh, yeah. with
1: that? Yeah, uh, very much. And and you know, we're uh, first of all it's set up nicely to get a choice in my opinion. I'm actually kind of happy about that. Because I think if Donald Trump continues to win, he will do that after going through what's going to be just incredible bludgeoning for the next 2 weeks. And and I think you know, right now, it's easy to see that he's way the front runner, that next is Cruz, and that Rubio is third. There's going to be polls tomorrow to show about where Rubio stands in Florida, but on, what is it, March 15th, that's his Armageddon Day, right? He needs to win Florida.
0: And to be specific, Donald Trump has 316 of the one necessary 1,237 delegates, Ted Cruz has 226 of the 1,237 delegates. Uh, Marco Rubio has 106 and John Kasich has 25 and Ben Carson who has suspended his campaign has eight and Michigan's favorite son, a son of Michigan, Mitt Romney is in open opposition to Donald Trump on Twitter and he's giving a speech on Thursday, which we neither can talk about today, but I anticipate given the tweets will not be complimentary of Donald Trump. Uh, So what does that all add up to? What choice does that present?
1: Well, first of all, there's a movement starting, and I very much disagree with that movement, that we should announce now that we won't support Trump if he's the nominee.
0: I'm so relieved to hear that you are uh, in disagreement with that movement, as am I, uh, for a variety of reasons, but I didn't know that you were in agreement with me on that, So, or I was in agreement with you. Tell us why that is a bad idea.
1: Well, first of all, you know, we, it, it is a republic, which means the great body of the people pick our leaders. And if the great body of the people pick Donald Trump and he brings millions of new people into the party, which he is doing in these primaries so far, then it's a big step to tell him no. And and, uh, the second thing is a lot of the claims against Trump center on the fact that he has the makings of a dictator. And there's even claims by some people who've said this that he himself calls for the unabashed use of executive power. And I've been looking that up. I'm building my Trump folio here at Hillsdale <laughs> College. i got a bunch of my kids doing it. And on that particular thing, Trump is not just uniform. He is frequently eloquent that he doesn't like executive orders, that he doesn't like the bureaucracy making laws, and that he is going to stop that and work with Congress. He
0: has to disavow it, in fact, on this show. But I would point out, uh, because I want to help build your Trump folio, That in the press conference last night, he all but threatened Paul Ryan, uh, that if he didn't get along with him, that would have very bad consequences for the Speaker of the House, who is a constitutional officer.
1: As long... He can do that all he wants to, as long as he does this. If he says, in the end, the Congress has got to pass the law, or it isn't a law, then of course he has extra reason to use every art and pressure available to him to try to get him to do what he wants. That's the way it used to work. And so Reagan, you know, going out in the public and giving Tip O'Neill a dressing down and then giving him a good class, a glass of whiskey and a great Irish conversation at night, those were Reagan's arts, right? So in threatening Paul Ryan, uh, you know, he's opening the conversation, you know, unless he means something different from that. And, and you know, Paul Ryan should threaten him back, by the way.
0: Oh, and, Interesting. Uh, Interesting. As a, yeah. as, a, as a constitutional officer, not as a personal vendetta, but as a, mem- as a representative of the House.
1: Yeah. You know, this is a, first of all, this is a real live political fight, very intense, and talking about fundamental things. When's the last time we had that?
0: I agree. And on the sideline, a Democratic Party talking about Fantasyland and Tinkerbell. It's just completely. Uh, a, 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 what's the place that Gulliver went to? Uh, he, he landed on the land of little people. The Democratic Party, the Lilliputians. The, the, it's the, the Lilliputian Party. It's full of small people and small
1: ideas uh, that have been proven wrong again and again and again. Over and over. And see, it, one thing that's really good about this, and they're all doing it, but I think it started with Trump. You, you boast of your three Trump tattoos. Yes. And and uh, and the truth is, I've never heard you ask a gotcha question on your show or any of these debates or meet the press where you go, right?
0: Well, when people but, ask me why I didn't react badly at the last debate when I was insulted by Trump, I said, I've been insulted by Dr. Larry Arn for four years and I've, <laughs> got, I've got practice <laughs> at dealing and with we're it.
1: Friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it was, but see, that Trump is preemptive about that stuff, right? Yes. He, he is clearing the way for him to say, and the others, because in the end, the, poli- and you, you know, your, you know, your goodness about this. I hesitate to praise you, but I'll do it. You understand that you're not the story. You're the reporter of the story. And that in the end, the people have to have a direct uh, connection with the people they vote for and figure them out for themselves. Yes. And so that's happening here on a big scale among all of the candidates. And, you know, all the stuff they used to worry about, first of all... What is gotcha questions about except convicting somebody of a breach of the artificial politically correct rules that we have today? And, and, and so they're not worrying about that stuff. The other thing is they're always worrying about um, you know, looking mean or something. Well, they're not worried
0: about that anymore. No, they're not. not. Let me ask you about the KKK David Duke comment and not from a uh, he has disavowed David Duke before and after not disavowing David Duke and had a terrible three minutes like Marco Rubio had a terrible three minutes at a particularly crucial moment. However, his three minutes are on tape, as are Marco Rubio's. They will be edited uh, and compressed and replayed a million times in October of 2016. As an objective matter, it will generate turnout from the African-American community that is the Democratic Party's rock-solid base and from others. It is, in many people's eyes, disqualifying because it makes him unelectable. What do you say to that?
1: Well, we don't know enough to know that right now. Uh, The last time I saw any polls, and there's going to be a bunch more polls this week, and I, you know, for goodness sake, I've been utterly corrupted. I'm reading the polls. You are. You are (laughs)
0: utterly corrupted. That is bad.
1: That's bad. Terrible, you know what? I'm teaching. I'm teaching Constitution right now. I, I'm usually reading something that happened in the 18th century, but uh, I've been reading polls, and Trump has been polling well among African Americans, and you know, really well. You know, like kind of like Reagan used to do. So, will that keep up? I don't know. Uh, I do know that Trump has been particularly good at taking these scandals and turning them to advantage. And the David Duke scandal, first of all, to mention David Duke requires one to repudiate him. He is a, an avowed segregationist. And that And a do. Nazi.
0: He is a self-proclaimed Nazi.
1: Yeah, okay, so that's really bad. And I could hear if Donald Trump had done a better job, as he did both, as you point out, before and after when asked about Donald, Donald Trump, uh, David Duke, he might have said, I abhor him and everything he represents, and I'll never do any of it. But, you know, if he's going to vote, I hope he votes for me.
0: <laughs> it's something like Churchill would have said.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know. And he didn't get that out. And I don't know why. I I don't think it can have been calculated. And the question is, will he be able to use his arts to demonstrate, which does seem to me true, by the way, that Donald Trump is, uh, you know, that Donald Trump has been appealing to black people. I don't think he's a racist. And... He, he is really not a racist.
0: Does. I declared that on, on CNN. I, I believe that you find evidence of racism very easily in people's past actions. Uh, he says things that upset those for whom race is a preeminent issue, but that does not make him a racist.
1: Right. That's right. And, and, I, and I don't, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think I, so my Trump folio is coming along.
0: Hold on, hold on to that thought. I'll be right back yeah. with Dr. Larry Arne. Don't go anywhere, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue, both this Wednesday and Friday, is about where we are in the Republic and the Republican Party. Don't miss a minute of it. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 21 minutes after the hour, America. Hugh Hewitt in the Hillsdale Dialogue. A special edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue aired first on Wednesday and again on Friday. Um, We know now that... uh, Marco Rubio is expecting additional endorsements today. Some speculate Governor Susanna Martinez of New Mexico. We know that Mitt Romney is giving an address on Thursday, uh, which is before, um, uh, which is following our uh, original broadcast of this on Wednesday at the Hinckley Institute of Politics Forum Thursday at uh, 1130 a.m. at the University of Utah. We don't know uh, uh, what he'll do, but his tweets are quite anti Donald Trump. And then there are Michigan voting and Kansas voting and other people voting, Louisiana voting on Saturday, Maine votes on Saturday and Sunday. And then we have a, a, a pause and on Super Tuesday. And in this, in the, we meet in the middle hour of our voting <laughs> with Dr. Larry on president of Hillsdale College. And when we went to break, we were talking about the stakes and the choice. And so you were setting up your Trump folio choice, Dr. Arn. Please continue.
1: Well, mostly that, uh, you know, there's in 2000, for example... Trump uh, writes a book, and he talks about how he ran his company. And, you know, there's not a bunch of people who work for Trump coming forward testifying against him. And he says that he was saved in the 2008 real estate crisis by the excellence of the people who work for him. And he had figured out long since that he's got to let them do their jobs, right? He doesn't sound like a dictator when he talks like that. And then he talks about how there's just this elite that's trying to manage the whole society, and we've got to let the people manage it. Now, there's some bad stuff about Trump, too, right? I mean, not just the David Duke thing, which I think is probably just... Let me ask you, let me
0: pose the... the, I wrote a Washington Examiner column before the KKK was fully absorbed. I had not seen it. I'd read some reference to it. In which I said there are six reasons to support Trump over Hillary Clinton. Three of them are are named the vacancy of Antonin Scalia and the next two Supreme Court seats. The fourth is that he will rebuild the Navy. He's a builder of, of ships. The fifth is that Putin and... Uh, the president of China will think twice before crossing him. And fifth is Ivana, Ivanka Trump, who impresses me quite a lot as a very sophisticated, incredibly accomplished young woman who has uh, incredible influence over her father, a Svengali-like influence actually. And, and people mock that, but I don't care. And and uh, the KKK thing may have made him electable in my book. Uh, I, I don't know yet. Like you, I have to get more evidence, but there are, what do you think of those reasons?
1: Yeah, well, he, he, uh, um, You know, apparently, I haven't found, my Trump folio is not complete yet, so I'm only making provisional academic statements about where the truth lies. But apparently, Trump has written that he slept with somebody else's wife. Yes, he has. And takes some pride in that.
0: And has had many, many partners uh, during many, many years.
1: Well, that's not the best thing.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. For the edification of the youth and the the training up in moral excellence, it's not.
1: And, uh, and so, you know, there's plenty of reasons to be against Donald Trump.
0: But, but the uh, objection that came back to mind was you cannot believe him when he says he will appoint people like Judge Pryor. And there probably is no better appellate judge in America than William Pryor. Uh, there are equals to him, but they are no better. And, and Judge Sykes was also very, very good. But his critics say you can't believe him. And, but I know one thing. I know Hillary Clinton will appoint critical legal studies people, and the court will be lost. I know and, that.
1: And, and on that point, I'm, I'm digging in my heels on that point, because I can't find any evidence since 2000 that Donald Trump is not a supporter of limited and constitutional government. Would you right? repeat that? That is important. Yeah, I, the point is, I, so Donald Trump misunderstands eminent domain. So I'll stick that in there. He should he should correct himself about that. The takings are are for eminent domain are eminently constitutional, if it's for a public use, and we've expanded the definition of public use so far. You've thought it yourself, you often that that uh, that local governments can take somebody's house because they want to build something that'll pay more taxes on it, and then give them special deals on the taxes. Right? Trump is wrong about that. Right? But I will say that a consistent theme since he ran for president in two thousand, often repeated, beautifully written on January twenty eighth in the Reno, Nevada Gazette, is a defense of constitutional government that proceeds by separation of powers. And he and so I I think that if there's consistency to be found in him, it is there. And I've got just lots of evidence about that. And I've got my team here, you know, who are my undergraduate geniuses who work for Peanuts. Um, very important. <laughs> very important, right? And they and all they get is a really expensive education for a fraction of the cost. Um, they, they can't find counterexamples about that stuff.
0: Interesting. And now, I, I am, have been tweeting today, there are two great problems with the Trump candidacy in the eyes of his critics, uh, other than the, the authoritarian temptation. One is that he doesn't know a lick about the military and doesn't know anything about the triad, etc. And I tweeted out this morning, if he were to put Senator Cotton, Senator Ernst, or Senator Sullivan, uh, three combat veterans of the long war, on the ticket with him, he would do a lot to address that because he'd have to spend time with them and they could teach him about such things, and that uh, as to being wobbly on the court, if he were to commit publicly and forever uh, in the sort of commitment that a politician cannot evade later because of its ambiguity to make his nominee Senator Ted Cruz to replace Justice Scalia, whether or not Senator Cruz wanted to do it, he would call upon him in the best interest of the union to do that and, and got McConnell to agree to, to confirm him. That would go a long way. I would think to people whose objections are other than emotional.
1: Yeah. Especially if he did that, if he beats Cruz and see, I think Cruz say a word about him. I think Cruz had a very good, he did, he did a very good super Tuesday. Right. And he's stronger now than he was. And I'm glad about that. And I've always hoped that the race would cohere as early as possible so we can have a real fight among some people who might win. And so we made a step toward that on Tuesday. And I'm not saying anything negative about Rubio, but he didn't have such a good day. And and Cruz did. And so we might get a month of argument chiefly between Trump and somebody else. And we'll learn a lot about that. And, uh, and you know, right now it looks like that somebody else might be Ted Cruz, who's a very able man and not vulnerable uh, against troop, uh, Trump's sort of burst on the scene idea of really doing something about illegal immigration because Ted Cruz has been very firm on that.
0: Now, I, I, I point out that... Um... Uh, Marco Rubio could pass Cruz in delegate count on the 15th, in which case, if there is a negotiation between those two camps to, quote, stop Trump, close quote, Rubio ought to be the top of the ticket. But if Rubio loses, he ought to withdraw or align with Cruz in a Cruz-Rubio ticket. It, It just seems to me that that is an objective analysis of what ought to happen if you want to stop Donald Trump. And if you don't want Donald Trump to be stopped, you want... Cruz and Rubio never to talk to each other again and to say horrible things about each other.
1: Yeah, and another thing is, uh, I, I forget forget for a minute the the idea that it's an emergency to stop Donald Trump. Some people think that, but just think of this. You know, I, I know that uh, my old friend and yours, Frank Shakespeare, ambassador to the Vatican, very distinguished man. Yes. Was in the first Nixon campaign. And, uh, and the second one, too. And Nixon told him once, he said, Mr. President, and at the time, uh, uh, Frank Shakespeare was a film executive, and he said, uh, are you going to run? And Nixon said, well, I have to run. And he said, why do you have to run? He said, well, events conspire to make some people eligible for the job, and it's better if they run. Now, let's say these guys are public-spirited. They should be thinking now about what presents the best choice to the American people and coherence in the race. That's a motive for them to get together.
0: I will be right back with Dr. Larry Arn to expand upon that motive to get together and whether or not it can be anticipated or counted on. Don't go anywhere to the Hugh Hewitt show. Thirty four minutes after the Hour America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Joined by Dr. Larry Arn on a special edition of the Hillsdale dialogues where we consider where the Republican Party finds itself. Donald Trump with three hundred and sixteen Delegates, Ted Cruz with 226, Marco Rubio with 106, Governor Kasich with 25, opened the program today on Wednesday, and I rebroadcast this hour on Friday. So, Dr. Arnn, what is that self-interest and mutual interest that Cruz and Rubio would have to discover, and how would they communicate that to each other, and how did Lincoln do it when Lincoln was confronted with a splintered Republican Party in 1860?
1: Well, first of all, he did it by staying home and letting the convention sort it out over the course of about 48 hours. But uh, I'm just saying, you know, first of all, only one of these guys is going to win. And what I think is, you know, let's say you get to the place where you feel like the other guy has a better shot. Well, the motive wouldn't just be, let's stop Trump, at least it wouldn't be mine. The motive might be, okay, we've got this far, now we'll have a better race if I don't clutter it up anymore and then let these two guys fight it out and let the people decide that that is what's supposed to happen here so i'm just saying you know we're all so many people are horrified by donald trump and i am in some respects i've named one of them but in other respects i kind of think it's good and i do like it that he's appealing so broadly right and and who am i to say no no he's no good right if, you know, what I have to decide, I'm just a citizen, right? First of all, next Tuesday, i got to decide who I'm going to vote for.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you. You anticipated, but you do have to vote. Uh, it's not Tuesday. It's Saturday, isn't it? Saturday. So, yeah. yeah. Don't yeah, forget so like, to vote.
1: vote. Yeah, no, Saturday, I have to decide who to vote for, and I am going to decide. Uh, I'm pretty sure now who I'm going to vote for, but I'm unlikely to say who I voted for. Because of I've been con- exiled to Switzerland.
0: Yeah, you have been. You have to come <laughs> live here. And, and you know what's amazing is that this attempt to be neutral and fair and objective earns the enmity of everyone. And yeah. so I'm, I'm beginning to understand Churchill's ratting and re-ratting a lot more when you're yeah. w- when everyone's mad at you.
1: <laughs> well, one thing about one. So we read the Lincoln Douglas debates, right? People should go listen to that again because what are they like? In the end, you know, it, it, these debates are not. You're, you're a dirty dog, and you said I was a dirty dog, and you're a liar for that, right? Right. The people who are saying they won't support Trump have given a list of reasons. And so I'm looking up those reasons to see if they are true. And one of them is not, as far as I can tell. But some of them do have something to them. And so one thing in our Trump folio, and I don't know if we're going to publish it or not, we might just put it on the website, and then we might do that for some of the other candidates, too.
0: Let me, let me read to you our mutual friend Jonah Goldberg today, Wednesday, writes, Is Joe Scarborough having his Colonel Nicholson moment? That's what I wondered Monday morning as I watched the host of MSNBC's Morning Joe insist that Donald Trump's inability and unwillingness to simply and plainly denounce the Ku Klux Klan on a Sunday CNN interview was, quote, disqualifying. For those who might not have seen the bridge over the River Kwai, it's partly the story of British Lieutenant Colonel Nicholson, played by Alec Guinness, Nicholson, a prisoner of war held by the Japanese, convinces himself that he and his men should help his captors build a strategically invaluable bridge over the Kauai River. Nicholson thinks if he shows the Japanese what good British discipline is all about, he will win some kind of moral victory. Of course, if they finish the railway bridge, the Japanese military will win an actual victory. Only at the last minute, spoiler alert, does Nicholson realize the error of his ways. My God, what have I done, he says with his last breath as he falls on a TNT plunger, destroying the very bridge he built seconds before British-Japanese trains go over it. Nothing so dramatic transpired with Joe, but it would be nice to hear, my God, what have I done from a lot of people? And he goes on to blame GOP poobahs, cable personalities, including some friends and colleagues of mine at Fox News, talk radio hosts and politicians who have either stood, watched, or cheered as Trump built his populist cult of personality. And he goes on to denounce Trump. This is mm-hmm. These are extreme terms.
1: Well, Joe doesn't like Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I have to... I have to insert, by the way, that my wife's father was, in fact, Colonel Nicholson. That is to say, he commanded a Japanese POW camp. Wow. And he hated that movie. Oh, he did? (laughs) He hated it. Hated it. Ah! Because it's so foreign to the way they were thinking, you know, that that there was such a guy like that guy, sort of morally torn between the chance to build a really great bridge and blow up a bridge the Japanese are going to use... That's just—he just hated that thing. And right.
0: it's also—I mean—any analogy to World War II. I was called a Nazi sympathizer. I've been using the Switzerland analogy, and a, uh, a columnist said that makes you a Nazi sympathizer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah, I said, yeah, My right. gosh, people! It's yeah. America. Yeah, you—you you know we're. You know, mostly, so, you know, here's what I think. I'm running a college. It's a conservative college. It helped to found the Republican Party. It is a fierce partisan of constitutional rule and the principles behind it, and it spends an enormous amount of money teaching that to anybody who wants to learn it, right? So that's my partisanship. And when the general election comes, then I am going to be strongly for and give money to whichever nominee I think will we'll support that stuff the best.
0: And let's come back after the break and talk about how a voter in Michigan or anywhere else can discern that in the next two weeks. Don't go anywhere, America. It's Larry Arnn on the Hillsdale Dialogue. 44 minutes after the hour, America, after Super Tuesday, before Michigan votes, before the second Super Tuesday, the Hillsdale Dialogue, originally broadcast on Wednesday after Super Tuesday and repeated on Friday after Super Tuesday, is with Dr. Larry Arnn of President of Hillsdale College. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues, which always, except when they don't, deal with the great works and people of Western civilization, can be found at hugh4hillsdale.com. All of Hillsdale's many fine and free offerings, and they are all free, are available at hillsdale.edu. And you can sign up for the monthly speech digest in Primus. And you ought to go and get educated about everything that they offer you. But right now, Dr. Arne, voters are voting. Uh, they're actually voting in Arizona as we speak. I was—I I learned this week that everyone got their ballot in the mail uh, on Saturday, and so they're voting in Arizona's primary as we speak. Absentees are out in Florida. Early voting is underway in Florida, where this show is heard across the state. It's underway to, uh, on Saturday in Michigan, when we're heard in Detroit and Grand Rapids. It's—it's it's in places where we will be in in Ohio across the state. How what? How do you advise a voter to evaluate the the four candidates? We haven't talked about Governor Kasich, who remains in the race. Ted Cruz. Marco Rubio, Donald Trump, and John Kasich.
1: Well, I, I, so the way I do it, and we'll have completed it by Saturday, is establish home base. That is to say, pick the issues that you think are fundamental. Which ones matter to you, to the most? In mine, they are defined by this reflection. The new things about the American government are the regulatory state and the entitlement state, and that's why we're losing control of our government. How do we fix those? And then I will take everything I can find that they said about that and try to put it in context so I know something about what what, what what they were asked, what they were talking about, and put it in a document and read it through. And, and you know, you can just learn so much. And we're blessed this time because four of the candidates, and I'm leaving out Ben Carson, who's... Who's, who's withdrawn. ...commended his campaign. Effectively, yeah. um, four of the candidates are very articulate people and they're very good at saying what they think and it's not hard to look it up and you know it takes some time and i you know i'm doing it and i you know and i got my team doing it but um uh, and and i'm doing a lot of it too but i do that i first know who are these people what do they stand for and it's good to do that back through a few years because the passage of time cancels out you know immediate pressures, right? what is consistent about them, and then also follow the race, <laughs> who is most likely, given the political forces that are in play today, to successfully get done what you want done? I'm thinking of that, so I'm thinking about who do I think is electable, who's going to win the general and and that's how I do it and and you know i I do that based on some serious knowledge of america's past and and that's why I've been able to identify the things that I think are matter, that the, matter.
0: The hardest part of it, not learning – there are three components. Learning what they say, um, learning their electability, and then whether or not you can trust what they say. Yeah. On that last matter, how do you judge that?
1: Well, time helps again, right? Is there – you know, think of your own life. Everybody, you know, this, this this is one of the scholars' arts, right? Put yourself in their place. If you give an account of yourself, of what you support and what you believe and how you came to believe it, you'll find that in your life there are some things that are steady, and that when you reach maturity, you came to these things. Well, try to identify that for them. Right? What have they stood for? You know, Ted Cruz and Rubio and Kasich, and 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 I think also Trump, although not in politics, they have at least 15 years, but some of them longer where they have said things about public affairs. Are they, and are they consistent, or rather, are they consistent on the points that you think matter the most? And then, you know, character is, you know, it's, first of all, we don't know if any of these guys are going to be good at this job, because the job is very hard, and Aristotle says power shows the man. So we're going to learn a lot after they try to serve. We're going to learn a lot each week. We're going to learn a lot in the general. And then the day after, there, like I, I have this memory. Ronald Reagan got elected in 1980. I was so glad. I'd been living in England for three years. I come home, and, and he gets elected. And Margaret Thatcher was elected while I was living in England. I watched both of them come to power. Reagan used to say to me, you need to move more often, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but but I watched his press conference the day after he was elected. And he was appointing people and talking about what they were going to do. And I thought, wow, he's going to be really good at this. And I saw it in a new way because he was beginning to do it. That means there's going to be some doubt about that.
0: I also, I, I ask you about who they surround themselves with. It has been a very fortunate thing as I've run across people since we began doing the Hillsdale Dialogues. And uh, they will tell me there are Hillsdale graduates and whom they are working with or for. For example, the attorney general of the great state of Montana, Tim Fox, has employed a Hillsdale graduate. And he told me that sui sponte when I was dealing with the attorney general. And if that happens all – and I'm reassured about an individual's character and their ability to evaluate talent when they hire Hillsdale people. And I – how much do you put into the people surrounding the candidates? What, what do you say about that?
1: Mm, yeah, that matters. And and also, what if you know them, what do they think about him? <laughs> you know, because if you work for somebody, you form definite views. And uh, I know that Trump, I don't know anybody who works for Trump, but I know that Trump is po- apparently popular with the people who work for him. I know a lot of people who work for Ted Cruz and some who work for Rubio, and I know they like him, think they're really great, and think they're honest, you know. And they worked themselves – I mean, remember about all of these four guys. These are very serious and disciplined people. I mean, they are just – and they couldn't wage this war on each other and for the republic if they weren't like that. So I, I have some confidence in the characters of all of them it's harder to judge about Trump because you haven't seen him in public office.
0: Now, I'm leading up to an extra segment, a fifth segment, because I want to ask you what you think about conventions and how they act, because you have studied quite a few conventions, state conventions ratifying the Constitution, the convention that came up with the Constitution, and other conventions that did not succeed, like those uh, bodies that attempted to get the League of Nations going. We come back from break. I want to know what Dr. Larry Arendt thinks about an open convention and the expression of will that would come from that in the terms of political selecting a nominee. Don't go anywhere, America. One quick more segment of this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay with us. Wrapping up today's Hillsdale Dialogue, Hugh4Hillsdale.com, Hugh hillsdalecom to get all four years of them or simply go to Hillsdale.edu for everything that this wonderful college offers. Dr. Larry Arn, uh, an open convention or a contested convention is by definition one at which no nominee arrives with the necessary 1,237 delegates committed to his or her Uh, nomination. And otherwise, we don't know what the result will be because there is doubt. What do you think of such a prospect and what ought people to accord the result of such a convention?
1: Well, so I've been to three or four Republican conventions, you know, to be there. I've probably been to more than that, but I've been to three or four where I was there for two or three days, given testimony to platform committees several times. And first of all, what are they like? Well, they're they're high, high, highly patriotic, americans a republican convention is a very middle america event i like them you know and and you know they're people who are active in politics and they're not professionals, and so they're going to vote the way they're supposed to vote instructed by their state primary system the first ballot and if nobody wins on the first ballot then there's just going to be a big argument right and it's going to take the form it'll take it'll people will go around and try to persuade and there'll be deals made and it'll be intense and it'll look chaotic and partly be chaotic and i think that what they'll be thinking about is you know if, if history holds they'll be thinking about who can win and who's the best those both those things not necessarily in that order and what does best mean well what why why did lincoln win lincoln was from the state where the convention was and it was a swing state thought to be Lincoln was rustic Lincoln was one of us and Lincoln was inspiring Lincoln Lincoln had the right principles but also the way he spoke them was moving to people huh. he remembered things he said. so it'll be things like that right and they'll and it'll take some form some you know there'll be people who will emerge unexpectedly as influential among the delegations and uh and I think that's you know I I you know because I've fallen into this very unusual mode for me of fearing for the country and enjoying the race at the same time I have some warm anticipation of such a thing <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I fear it too right yes and and i don't think we're there yet i think we're going to know a lot more after florida e.j. Dion
0: calls the republican party a rough beast that is developed by a series of choices i disagree with that but a convention can be a beast or it can be a swan i mean it can be either thing
1: the other democratic convention i've been to a couple of those not for as long either one and i don't want to do them an injustice but there are different sorts of people there Right. More Not on that. more people that are involved in politics or public policy in some way.
0: More on that next week. Doctor Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, thank you. Hillsdale.edu America or Hugh for Hillsdale.com.